0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto-World Football Podcast. I am Matt Straup, about a week and a half away from Super Bowl 55. Today we're taking a look at our top 10 off-season storylines. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Hayden Winks. I assume that one of the top storylines we'll be tracking carefully this offseason is Pat Darty's mustache growth. For those who aren't aware, Pat showed up at the Roto-World live draft prior to the season with an absolute brillo pad attached to his face. Please go back and check that out if you haven't seen it. It's incredible. Pat, I know we have a little way to go here until the season is officially over, but have your offseason facial hair plans started to come into focus yet?
1: It's, it's really funny you bring this up because I was actually strategizing this today. I got a haircut um today and talking with my stylist uh i was like yeah she's like you should she said you should grow your mustache back i was like well i'm planning on it maybe for like summer draft season but now i need to go back study pictures see like when the growth was acceptable and see how long to time it where i have the brillo pad as you said for august um so we're working on that we're strategizing that does that like amc stonks that's kind of what we're focused on right
2: now And uh, virtual virtual NBA trading cards also. Yes. That's what that's and mustache, yes. All those three of those things are what we're focused on.
3: These are signs that we're pretty bored as a society <laughs> that like, we're trading blockbuster digital gaming cards and uh, crypto kitties so yeah things are great all,
1: all I say I just I haven't I've been trying to keep it on the down low of my friend group but you know some of us uh you know invested in AMC last summer cuz we're just geniuses and just like blunder into money everything we do winning gpp's buying amc <laughs> stock for no reason uh you know just money people the like yep. the most 2021
2: 20, sentence ever uh, just how fractured we are. I woke up and read a sentence that said, Joe Biden's team now monitoring GameStop stock. And I was like, oh, oh like, yeah, that's where we are society now. Yeah. yeah.
1: It feels a bit end times occasionally, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, everything that's just been said in the last two minutes flew over my head except for the word mustache. I, I definitely need to <laughs> to hop on the internet after this and do some reading. Uh, so so, anyways, we're here today with our top 10 off-season storylines. We're going to go around the table here and talk about these Hayden, why don't you start us off with your first storyline you brought to the table?
3: All right. Speaking of money and just like, a, <laughs> we don't know if it's real, this this AMC stuff. We don't know if the NFL salary cap's real either. And I'm looking at the Saints salary cap. They're $112 million over the cap. The next closest, the Eagles, are down at $53 million. Obviously, this is a kind of a storyline every single year, and the Saints always get out of this. This one feels a little bit different. And they're not going to completely gut the roster. They have some some young guys that are, have performed. They have some good guys on under contract, but they have to get rid of Drew Brees. They'll probably do like a little like sign and then retire situation to save like twenty five million. But then they have to make decisions on Jameis Winston, who's going to be a free agent. Marcus Williams is one of the better free safeties, an edge rusher, Trey Hendrickson, and then they have a bunch of veterans guys like Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook. All of these guys are going to be cut candidates, and then they are going to be doing all of these extensions. So. Basically, what they're going to be doing is cutting like $100 million off of this year's salary cap, get around to about break even, and then decide what the heck they're going to do at quarterback. Because right now, Taysom Hill has a $16 million cap hit this year. Maybe they view him as the guy. I'm kind of leaning that they think Jameis Winston deserves a shot. but That's going to depend on what his market settles at. So the Saints roster is not going to look exactly the same. They're going to keep a lot of pieces, but a lot of these veterans are going to be, be either cut or they're going to be rocking with Taysom Hill. So... Lots of stuff going on with the Saints.
2: It's definitely going to take some finagling. I will say with confidence, though, at least the core we know will not be lost. Nick Hundriel said it best. He wrote, recently wrote an article on the Saints' entire cap situation and the ways they could maximize or escape it. And his final thought was one that summarizes it. The future, at least the immediate one, can be whatever New Orleans wants it to be because they can truly mold it. Uh, as to your point, Taysom Hill is the only quarterback under contract for them right now but they do reportedly want to bring Jameis Winston back to at least compete for that role. So I wouldn't expect a major splash in the quarterback market. And we'll talk about, the names and that situation as we move along here, but that's really where they're going to get away because they can easily after June one, get rid of Drew Brees or, or take a hit later on down the road with his final year in contract. And then of course, rather than making a giant splash, either have Hill or Winston on a one-year deal or just sign a veteran off the market. If they're unhappy with both those names as well. So not a big deal under center, but I don't think the, what brings the Saints to the playoffs anyway is going away. Like they're, they are still in place at the core of it all.
1: So the Saints, they need some activist investors, guy. They need some Robin Hood investors. I don't know how to pump up the stock price somehow. Uh, so, as we know, the salary cap is as kind of as real as you want it to be. It's mostly fake. Um, the the Saints strategy, you know, ever involve like ever further distances for the can to be kicked, like ever further years for it to be kicked. And it usually works. Uh, the hitch this year, I mean, this this is always though planning for the salary cap, you know, to go up ten to twelve million a year. As we know, that's not happening this year. It could decrease by twenty to twenty-three million, and they can still, as you guys said, get out of this fairly easily. Uh, they're probably, basically they're not going to be re-signing any of their free agents. They'll be cutting veteran, probably every Jared Cook or Emmanuel Sanders who can be cut will be cut, and that's bad. Uh, but you know, that's not like a team ruiner, as John said, but. It's just borrowing ever more and more from the future. There's going to be more extensions, more voidable years. I think they're really kind of boxed in to Taysom Hill. I mean, they've really kind of got to put his money where his mouth is at this point with Taysom Hill. And kind of one of the the main salary cap things they're probably going to have to do is extend Taysom Hill and get his cap number down and get some of his money spread out. So I actually think they might be boxed in to Taysom Hill. So it's very doable Uh, but it's less doable than they were probably planning with the salary cap remaining flat or declining. Yeah. I mean, at some point this caught up with the Steelers kind of earlier last decade, like it will catch up and it's going to catch up a little bit this year. It's just a matter of like, if it like fully blows up, it doesn't seem like it's going to fully blow up, but, uh, it can be overhyped, but it should not be underhyped either. This year is going to be more
2: replaceable veterans, like getting rid of Emmanuel okay. Sanders to save $4 million, cutting Jared Cook, extending Marshawn Lattimore to extend that number over time. Like I said, it's definitely going to take some molding, but it's not impossible whatsoever. If anything, as long as they go to the drawing board, like they'll be just fine.
3: I mean, yeah, I was just going to go through like the skill position guys real quick just to kind of recap it. The quarterback... Situation. Taysom should be back. I think they're going to bring Jameis back. I would, if I was just betting week one starter, I would pick Jameis over Taysom Hill, but we still a, a ways away with that. Running back, obviously you have Alvin Kamara. Uh, Latavius Murray is definitely a cut candidate on his contract. Mm-hmm. At tight end, it looks like Adam Troutman is going to be the guy. So he might be something that might be a little underpriced, kind of depending on... I mean, you you need these... For the skill guys, you need Jameis Winston to be the starter, not Taysom Hill. Like we saw this year, that that definitely needs to happen. And then the number two receiver, we're, we don't really know. It could be like traquan Swift. It could be like a Marquez Callaway. The number two receiver is up for grabs, too. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be Kamara. It's going to be Michael Thomas. I think Troutman. And then we're going to be waiting between Jameis Winston and Taysom for the next couple months.
0: Well, we saw Taysom Hill start four games for the Saints. They went three in one of those games, but it was a pretty soft part of their schedule. They beat the Falcons twice, they beat Denver, and they lost to Philly. Meanwhile, the last time we saw Jameis Winston as a full-time starter, it was a 30-interception campaign in 2019. Daigle, can they win with either of these guys at the helm?
2: And we also saw that... Jameis Winston's not start but one interim appearance was still Jameis Winston like I believe on those 14 dropbacks he took a couple sacks he nearly threw an interception inside their own 10 yard line like it was still the mistakes which keep Jameis Winston not his talent but overall his decision making that keep him from being a confident starter in the league since the last time we did see him as a starter he led the league in passing yards became an unrestricted free agent and basically no one wanted him like again I think they'll be fine Winston at least unlocks the explosiveness, but overall like winning and heading to let's say the NFC championship game still very limited. But again, I I think that's the better option than Taysom Hill.
1: I think Jameis is the better option. I just think like talk about like in too deep. Like I kind of think they're in too deep with Taysom Hill. And my feel is that it will be Taysom Hill and maybe Sean Payton is like trying to prove something to himself. Uh, It feels like it's going to be Taysom Hill to me.
0: Let's keep the quarterback purgatory going, Pat. Give us your first storyline you're following here this offseason.
1: It is the founder of quarterback purgatory, uh, Mr. Jared Goff, who uh to steal one of my own tweets, is kind of now like leading the world and like like, hey guys, like I'm sitting right here, like type situations about like what his coach and GM are saying about like, oh no, yeah, we could we could cut Jared Goff. That wouldn't be a problem at all. Like, why, why would you act like that would be hard? That wouldn't be hard and not being very delicate with the way they handle their quarterback. And I mean, making it abundantly clear at the very least, he's going to be put in like a competition type situation. The problem as we know they sound like a a brain trust that is desperately wants to cut Jared Goff. That basically cannot happen. I mean, the Rams have been very aggressive about moving on from sunk costs like Todd Gurley kind of Brandon cooks to a lesser extent, but There are sunk costs, and then there's 65 million in dead money, like a 30 million dollar cap surcharge. Like that's like real money too. Like some of that, like Stan Kroenke's real money. We don't talk about real money very often. Like this would be a, a huge real money hit for the Rams. Like I think at the very least. So if he's gonna be gone, it has to be a trade. And if it's gonna be a trade, I think it has to be a Brock Osweiler type situation where they have to include like a second or third round pick because even if there's teams that think they could like rehab jared goff i mean they're not going to want to pay him 25 million dollars and they're probably going to assume well if sean McVay couldn't do this you like why could our coach do this so i think any trade would have to be like a distressed asset type situation but so i think the two things that are clear is that jared goff is going to be pushed a starter or maybe replaced a starter but will probably still be on the roster and you know, it'll be like a weird thing and it's gonna be very fascinating what, because yeah i mean they're not holding their cards close to the chest at all like they're putting this out there for the whole world to see. And it's a very, very fascinating dynamic.
2: Uh, they were actually both, Sean McFay and Les Snead, non-committal on golf in their postseason pressers. When asked about it, Snead didn't even defend golf coming back for his talent. He said, and I quote, by the way, the money we've invested in him, that's not easy to overcome, but anything can be done cat-based. It's not a talent... A based evaluation, it is a we already paid this guy and we can't get him off our books because his number for 2021 is clearly like much larger than let's say Todd Gurley's was Gurley's was a certainly a hit and it's still kind of crazy. They just did away with it all together, took the dead money and walked away. They can't do that because Goff's number is so large. Golf is part of the overall quarterback carousel, but I think it's being slightly overblown because guys like Golf, Garoppolo, like at this stage of their careers, we know who they are. They aren't like franchise changers. So to think like he's he makes an impact either way. Like, sure, he can go on and be a starter for the rest of his career, like a league average one just fine. But we know his limitations, especially when the pocket breaks down. That's not going to develop most likely. So I don't think it's it's something like worth holding on to. The fact is they probably will have to, again, if only because of the number. Or they'll have the league's most expensive backup uh, outside of what the Eagles do with Carson Wentz. Yeah,
3: and like the Rams have other decisions to make too. They're losing a lot of guys in the secondary couple. Uh, There's number two corner, a safety, an edge rusher, and they're still trying to find out. I think Andrew Whitworth wants to be back, their left tackle, but they have, he has a big cap number two. They were trying to negotiate that too. Plus, the Rams lost like every assistant coach they had. Mm-hmm. I mean, like literally everybody, all the way down to the passing game coordinator who was just hired by the Seahawks. So it's, it's going to be a kind of a, a little bit different approach. I think that Sean McVay is going to even take on more of a role with this offense and with this team in general, which is crazy because he's already probably as hands-on as any coaches in the league. But yeah, I, we, we all agree. Jared Goff isn't the guy what they can do with that this year. It's going to be tough for them to get out of this. So I'm going to guess Jared Goff's back against their will just because they don't really have too many other options.
1: John, John hit on a point I kind of made and John like really hit on it. Like the, the heart of the matter, the problem is, it's so, like there would be maybe be teams interested in taking on Jared Goff as like a Alex Smith, like stopgap quarterback. Like, again, I think it'd have to be like a distressed asset type situation the Rams include a pick. But the problem is normally when you do that, it's like, okay, we got a coach who can get the most out of this player. There's not going to be really any team that thinks they have a coach who can get more out of Jared Goff than Sean McVay, you know, who already like worked a miracle with Jared Goff. So that to me is the biggest problem why the trade market probably won't develop at all because like – If Sean McVay couldn't do this and like feels like he's at the end of his rope with Jared Goff, like why would it be any different with our team? It's kind of ultimately why I think a trade just can't materialize and he'll be around as the most expensive backup in the history of professionals.
2: And he did play really well in that game against the Packers. But again, their offense catered around making life easier for him. Like never did he actually make life easier for the Rams. Instead, McFay had to scheme a system in which they got rid of the ball as quickly and as shallow as possible just to make sure Goff didn't have to do his second read. Um, and that's, that's clearly an issue whenever you're trying to build around this quarterback. So, so again it's not it's not really an impactful name as the media would make it seem but it is certainly an issue that he could go in as, you know, a top 5 cap hit against John Wolford of all people in an open competition.
0: To that end that you're talking about with Goff Daigle, This is a guy who threw for 4688 yards and mm-hmm. 32 touchdowns just 2 years ago. So that was just all smoke and mirrors. Basically, Sean McVay just made some magic happen and everyone figured it out and now it's over. Is that, I mean, is there any hope, any upside for Goff to reach for again?
1: No.
2: I just think we have seen who he is, and again, that is a league average starter. There's nothing wrong with that, but he's not a guy who's going to scramble. He's not a guy who's going to make plays outside of the pocket, everything has to be perfectly in place for Goff to be the compliment, like younger Matthew Stafford, even though Stafford's probably better, even at this veteran stage of his career. Yeah, he's just not a game breaker, and again, like the Rams fortunately have a schemer like Sean McVay to get the best out of Goff, but the fact that it's now apparently an open competition already next year, and his coach and GM aren't even backing him. Then it's, there's not really upside to buy in here.
1: Goff's just, he's in the Alex Smith Hall of Fame. Like he can't create, he can like execute like your vision, but there's just like a limit to that. He can't create his own offense. And just like Alex Smith in Kansas City, it's pretty clear the Rams think they've hit their limit for what they can accomplish managing and manipulating Jared
0: Goff. Takeaway number three. Give it to us, Daigle. What do you have?
2: Let's change up the positions here because we've talked about the quarterback carousel and everyone's discussing how there are so many options available. And that is overshadowing the fact that the crop of free agent wide receivers is actually better than these replacement guys you're going to get on the market at quarterback. You can take a quarterback and then build his options however you want this year. Because just to name a few. And this is literally just a few of many good options available as unrestricted free agents on the market between Allen Robinson, Will Fuller, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, although he'll probably get franchise tagged, uh, Marvin Jones if you want a veteran, Chris Godwin, Curtis Samuel if you want more of a gadget player, Corey Davis, who we've seen can be an elite beta as long as he's next to another good receiver, Antonio Brown if you want an established veteran, and A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, of course, too. Again, just to name a few. So whether you want veterans to help fill out a room or young explosive players, the market has it all. And that is being overshadowed by the quarterback situation right now. I would
3: say the one thing is I think a couple of these guys might get franchise tagged. I sure. think the bears might franchise tag Allen Robinson and just create like some insane drama. Cause I don't think Allen Robinson would want to play for the bears next year. Chris Godwin might get franchise tag as well, but the rest of these guys and maybe possibly one or two of those guys I mean, we're talking about number one receivers. And there's a couple teams out there that desperately need number one receivers and have the cap space to do it. I'm talking about the Patriots. They come to mind first. Um, So we're going to see a little bit of turnover. Obviously, we have a ton of young talent coming through in in the NFL draft as well from the last couple years or two. So Curtis Samuel turning into like a a number two receiver, that would be cool to see. I think that Antonio Brown might have a little bit something. I'm curious to see where Will Fuller goes because – I think he can be somebody's number one, but he can be like the best number two in the NFL, just the way that he's used downfield. He's just so – So explosive. So, yeah, those are insane names. Obviously, it's going to be a buyer's market.
2: I shouldn't say gadget player for Curtis Samuel because Rule did maximize his talents, as you said, as more of a a slot receiver. And they used him not only underneath and inside the 20, but over the top of secondaries a lot as well. So, yes, just a good complementary player that we've seen can be in starting three wide sets.
1: It's just like a dream market for any position because, yeah, there's legitimate game changers at the top, but then there's depth kind of at every tier. And so, yeah, it's going to be one of the hottest free agent receiver markets we've ever seen, maybe one of the hottest markets we've ever seen in any position, and it's true with the franchise tags. I could see Kenny Galladay getting franchise tagged and traded because Kenny Galladay is not going to want to be a part of this team next year. And it could maybe even happen with Allen Robinson. The Bears would probably be more sincere in wanting to keep Allen Robinson. I could be, I could see Galladay getting franchise and traded. Chris Godwin, I don't know how kind of the Bucks might not be able to make that work with the finances, and they might be more likely – Re likely that's a word. They might be more likely to uh, re-sign Antonio Brown than Chris Godwin. I feel like I still
2: think it's wild that the Steelers want nothing to do audibly with Judas Smith Schuster, especially his, especially at his age, man. Like they have just made it known that he's not coming back.
3: What are they going to do? Uh, just real quick, uh, like what are the Steelers going to? Is Deontay Johnson going to go into the slot, or who who's going to play slot receiver in like three wide sets? Because they have t- like the three guys that are returning are like typical outside receivers and. I've always kind of wondered what
2: what their plan is with that. And Eric a couple years a couple years ago, didn't they actually run Switzer over James Washington in the slot? Yeah, they, they did. did. Yeah, maybe
1: H back Jalen Samuels. Uh, I don't know, just unknown draft pick. It's where they they draft amazing receivers, but they don't really ever play them
2: they're Deontay Johnson actually would be a tremendous slot guy. Like you can use him underneath and just allow him to explode for yards after the catch. But we've seen that they don't really know how to mold players into different situations.
0: Speaking of Juju, still just 24 years old, just turned 24 in November to your point, Daigle. Uh, Career low, 8.6 yards per catch this year. Do you think that was just a function of Big Ben being Big Ben and that offense being what it was at this point, Daigle? And if he goes somewhere else, we might see him become that explosive downfield guy again.
2: I think so. I still have all the faith in the world. in Judas Smith Uh Again, we can throw out two years ago because of the injuries, not only to himself, but under center and playing with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges. And it, it wasn't encouraging. I'll say that his second year without Antonio Brown as well, that he wasn't really a truly explosive player and was didn't really get allowed to break open over the top and downfield. But again, with a, a better offense, with a better quarterback, maybe it changes altogether. So it, we have to monitor his landing situation for sure.
1: I'll just say with Juju, I think it was mostly the offense, but I also thought he looked kind of like bulky this year. Like not like out of shape, but like like maybe like too muscle bound. Like he like kind of overdid it almost in the weight room. Or like he was just, I just thought he looked too bulky. Like maybe he needs to play and not out of shape at all. Not saying that, but maybe he needs to play at a lower weight in 2021.
0: Hayden, you are up next in the rotation. This is number four of 10. What do you have?
3: I'm just looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars as a whole. Obviously, they bring in Urban Meyer, who's one of the best college coaches of all time. But I think that what he brings to the table offensively, like obviously he's more of a CEO type. um, And he hired a bunch of NFL guys to kind of fill out the rest of his his coaching staff. But he uses his quarterback to run a lot. And he was just the master of the spread. He claims that he kind of invented the RPO with Alex Smith at Utah, like, on this broken play. There's a pretty cool YouTube video about it. But just going back to how Urban Meyer, he molds his offense to kind of fit his talent. Like, a lot of times he gets these gadget receivers, Curtis Samuels, your Percy Harvins. Sometimes it's it's like a running-based offense when you see JT Barrett. But when you pair him with Trevor Lawrence, I think that Trevor Lawrence could have really good numbers right away. And the two numbers I I keep looking at, Urban Meyer – coached in college for 17 years. He had 14 quarterbacks that had over a hundred carries. I mean, a lot of these guys had like double digit touchdowns and a lot of this is just because he's using his quarterback to kind of spread out the offense or the defense. And he, he always talks about equating numbers in the run game. He likes to include his quarterback in the run game. So I think that Trevor Lawrence can have some sneaky rushing upside. And then the other number is the Jaguars have four returning guys on the offensive line possibly five if they keep Cam Robinson. We always talk about continuity across the offensive line. It's pretty rare to have an offensive line for a rookie quarterback that looks at least somewhat assembled. And the Jaguars don't have a bunch of like insane offensive linemen, but even having just like four or five average starters is a big advantage for a rookie quarterback, especially when you have DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault as your two guys that are under contract, young receivers too. So I think the Jaguars' offense could actually be decent in year one. And like a lot of these rookies just fall into the worst situation. I don't see that with the Jaguars right now.
1: Yeah. So, Hayden, so you mentioned there's usually like the rushing threat with the herb quarterback, but he, he has had success with like all different variety. Like a lot of them have been able to run, but like like the same coach having success with Tim Tebow and Dwayne Haskins is like pretty cool. And like herb is definitely like, he's someone you trust, even if he's not going to be calling the plays, which it appears that he probably won't like you trust that team's quarterback. Uh, to at least be used creatively, at least put in a position for success and especially fantasy success. And of course, shocked that you didn't say more about uh, Mr. Visca Chenault because, like, Irv was just obsessed with that archetype of player at Florida. Like, every year he had like two or three, like, Percy Harvin types. And will be very, very exciting to see what he can do with LaVisca Chenault. I will preface this by saying Urban has delivered
2: results wherever he is, wherever he goes, wherever he's been. But he is head coach reality show. He is the coaching diva of the century, if there ever was one. And that's why I'm slightly concerned. The Jaguars are fortunately a year into their rebuild already, so he didn't have to deal with last year. He's getting a better product. But if this is still a rebuilding team, as it is, and the results are not quickly turned around, which they could be, honestly. Just getting Trevor Lawrence alone gets you 50 60% of the way there. Um, I am worried. He cited his health not being an issue. But again, no one, as we've seen, takes losses harder than Urban Meyer. He'd show up to press conferences afterwards and basically wouldn't answer questions at all because it, you could see like the hurt and the hate in his eyes. And for a rebuilding franchise, for a long-term deal, I'm genuinely worried about it. So I don't think he's in for the long haul unless they are somehow like average, like uh, seven and nine this year. But if not, then I am genuinely concerned about the situation.
3: I think they can be like a seven and nine product. I mean, in addition to like having just bringing in Trevor Lawrence and having like some pieces around them, especially like they draft like two like premier edge rushers. In the last two seasons too they have 73 million dollars in cap space that's yeah. by far the most in the nfl and i do wonder if this becomes like not like a destination like nobody actually like truly wants to play for the jaguars but you got the, the no state income tax you're with trevor lawrence you're with urban meyer they have the most money i do wonder if they're actually going to be able to bring in like some marquee talent in free agency as well. So
2: quickly, Pat, I, yeah, that's why I think it's good that they are in year two of a rebuild, like right. he skipped year one. So that certainly helps the situation.
1: Yeah. I was just saying, John, though, like you hit, like we can't really gloss over that point. And like, I'm not trying to like make light of this, but I mean, he would literally get hospitalized with stress. Like if he lost yeah. like two FTC games. And so uh, we're just going to see, and you know, he, 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 he doesn't hide. Like he burns hot. He like burns bright. And so it probably will not be like a decade type thing, but how he adjusts to losing. I mean, he's going to lose, like a best case scenario season is going to be like 11 and 5, 10 and 6. You know, that's like the outer, like that, that's not really realistic. And like how he makes that adjustment to like a, a league where you will lose a lot of football games, even if you're a good team, uh, will be very fascinating. Also, by the way, like one
2: of the rare instances of someone who was very good at his like analyst in the booth job going to become a head coach, like on Fox, He was terrific. Uh, it's not like a John Gruden situation. <laughs> That's funny.
3: Oh, I had one other note I had to make sure we got out there. Doug Marone, an NFL head coach the next year. He's the Alabama offensive line coach. That is a positional coach on the offensive line, not even calling plays. That is insane. Coaching, like how that happens.
2: Yeah. Coaching the offensive line for whose offense?
1: Yeah. It's it, it's not as bad as it sounds because this is like he's going to rehab school, basically. And well, uh Bill O'Brien was hired right.
2: as O.C., yeah. Yes, now, we get
1: Ma- now we get Marone and
2: Bill O'Brien out of the league and coaching, like, the number one system in the entire country in the collegiate ranks.
0: Quickly, before we move on from the Jags, we talked about Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay potentially being unhappy to be franchise-tagged. On the flip side, Hayden, will any receiver in football be happier than D.J. Chark, who I think we mentioned before? I mean, this guy caught passes from the unspeakable combo of Gardner Minshew, Jake Luton, and Mike Glenn in this season. Now he presumably gets Trevor Lawrence.
3: Yeah, if you look at his, like, deep target catch rate, and it's just, like, as bad as it gets. Like, he's, like, 31st out of 34 qualifying receivers on, like, targets beyond 15 yards. He was just – he had no chance, and he had a couple big games just because he's so explosive, but um, I, I'm pretty confident they're not just going to use him as a deep threat either. I think in this first year, unless they sign some big free agent, he's going to be used as, like, that typical alpha receiver, so it's not just going to be, like, a one-trick pony downfield, too. So I think he there's a chance that he becomes – like a little overlooked in like early fancy drafts. And same thing with LaVisca Chenault, just because like Roto Pat mentioned, like when you're looking at the Curtis Samuels, the Percy Harvin numbers in college, and you look at what LaVisca Chenault brings as like a physical player, it's there's very clearly upside there.
2: Shark will be an easy buy low player this off because when you enter the Prairie Arts Hall of Fame room, like you got to get through the Jerry Judy bust to get to the very back behind the curtain, which is
1: Shark, the leader of that room.
0: <laughs> Pat, hit us with number five.
1: I'm just, what kind of quarterback will whatever team acquires Matthew Stafford be getting? Like, are we going to get the guy who was, like, mismanaged in Detroit and is still, like, an unlockable talent? Like, or a guy, you know, in Detroit who always kind of had a lot of weapons and never made the most of them. Or, you know, a guy who was 33 with, like, endless experience to fall back on, who gets a little bit better every year or a guy who's 33 with an increasingly concerning injury history. He spent about a decade, never missing a game. Now it's kind of really piled up ailments the past years. He didn't miss a start in 2020, but you know, missed time had like a new injury every single week. And this is, is there another step for Matthew Stafford to take? Cause you know, early career, he was kind of Jameis ball. And now like the past five or six years, he hasn't thrown more than 10 or 11 uh, interceptions and just, where is Matthew Stafford truly at at this stage in his career? Because he's always had that feel of like a what might have been player or only this player is in a slightly different situation, a different setup, but it's not like yeah he lacked for weapons in Detroit. He did lack for continuity. He did lack uh, for like coaching staff, brain power most of the time. But is there another step with Matthew Stafford or is this truly – who he is, and just kind of how it's always going to be. And he is maybe the single most fascinating player out there because you got higher-end options like Deshaun Watson and then maybe lower-end guys like Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo that people could try to buy low on. But Stafford is just like, even at 33, even with that over a decade in the NFL, feels like a wild card. It
2: reminds me of Philip Rivers' situation last year and and that he can be the perfect complement or like cherry on top to a team that is already built. The difference is Rivers' arm strength was shot in his last year with the Chargers. That was the concern. There is nothing wrong with Stafford right now. He's got a couple of good years left. I understand there's a lot of miles on that tank right now, but overall, still to play 16 games this past year, basically never be put in a position to succeed and can now go somewhere with already established weapons. Like Pat said, it's truly fascinating uh the ideal situation would be one that he's not going to get like the Steelers where everything's in place from the weapons to the defense or somewhere like the Broncos where you have a head coach who can coach up a defense and then you have young talented weapons who need a viable quarterback to get them the ball but again I, I don't think those are two options unfortunately so wherever he lands if it is a place like the Colts for instance that are ready to win now like that's a team we will definitely have uh high in odds to make the playoffs
3: yeah, I'm looking at the Colts. I'm looking at the Washington football team and then the New England Patriots. Those teams have the cap space and the draft capital to make something happen and obviously need another guy. And I would trust those coaching staffs with some of those weapons. Well, we'll talk about the Patriots in a second here, but I think it's, it comes down to the Colts as the very clear-cut favorite. And I think that Matthew Stafford is good enough to win playoff games. Like, I think that's the bar. He kind of reminds me of, like, he's on that Matt Ryan level where, like, yeah, you can get to the Super Bowl if, like, Everything's right. You have Kyle Shanahan, you have Julio Jones, and you're getting enough pass rush to make that happen. But at the end of the day, you're probably getting like the tenth best quarterback somewhere around there. So uh, I think the Colts would be a perfect landing spot where you have like some weapons, some cap space, uh, a good coaching staff, and a pretty good defense.
1: You mentioned Kyle Shanahan. That's really where I want to see him go. Is Kyle Shanahan because the Colts? Like that's really not going to be that dissimilar to some of the setups he's had in the past, and maybe honestly, fewer weapons. And he's used to working with. We have a lot of intriguing weapons in Indianapolis, but like kind of like a lack of like proven weapons. And the, the one thing we've never truly seen with Stafford is like a mind meld with his play caller or his head coach. And that's what I would just love to see in San Francisco. I think it's probably better set up on the weapons front than the Colts are. And I'm not trying to like uh, say the Colts have no weapon, but I just feel like the situation's a little more stable. Uh, in San Francisco than it is in Indianapolis the situation in Indianapolis the skill situation maybe not as high floor stable as it seems
0: yeah in, in terms of fantasy points Stafford was pretty much middle of the road you know right around QB 15 I think to your point Daigle a minute ago it's almost like the best thing that Stafford could do his best contribution in fantasy leagues this upcoming season could be propping up some good skill players around him not so much putting up huge numbers himself would you agree with that
2: Right. There were a lot of sharp people. Not myself. I was all in on Stafford and the Lions. Uh, That proved to be Absolutely wrong. Never doing that again. But there were a lot of sharp people like Rich Rebar, uh, Greg Smith, the 4 for 4 football, who were out on Stafford because they thought his eight games with Daryl Bevel were an anomaly. Turns out it was an anomaly. Or just sheer regression happened this year with the offense overall. Also lots of injuries to begin with. Um, You know, Kenny Galladay missing the first three games. And then Marvin Jones basically having to carry the offense for an extended amount of time. So there's a lot happened there. But, again, I I think Stafford is still at this age – can go in right now and be an amazing player under center for a team, especially with an offensive line, because he's dealt with poor offensive lines the past, I don't know, decade of his career. He's never had a stable one. So that 49ers situation you brought up actually is interesting because the core, the scheme, everything is in place. And we saw how often Garoppolo missed wide open receivers that Shanahan schemed open, whereas Stafford wouldn't do that.
1: No, but you also, the big X factor for him with the Colts would be the offensive line. And yeah. maybe he's really looking for that. But another theory, too, was Hayden's theory last year, which I really bought in on, was just maybe he wasn't fully recovered from that back injury. And I just, 33 with, he was on the injury report with like four different body parts at the end of 2020. So I don't know if we can just take for granted his health.
0: 180 sacks for Stafford the last five years. Daigle, I think you are up with number six on our list here.
2: Let's keep going with quarterbacks. And I will ask which franchise will Deshaun Watson save? I obviously don't need to defend Watson. We know his resume, but as a friendly reminder, recall he just led the league in passing yards and yards per attempt with a 70% completion rate. And a year, he lost one of the best receivers in the league in the offseason, um, his head coach midseason, and was basically set up to fail. Except Deshaun Watson cannot fail. He's only 25 and he signed through 2025. And he clearly is not going to play in Houston no matter who their head coaching hire is as he already has stated through reporters, or at least that's the report right now. And so wherever he go, this is not a situation like Stafford who we have confidence in, but still needs everything to be involved around them. Like, If you get Deshaun Watson, you are 80% of the way there. You have a majority of your franchise already figured out, and you just need the rest of the pieces to fit. That's why I think the Jets are an intriguing situation, just because not only having the most projected cap room this year, but having a stable offensive line, at least an elite player, they got last year um, at left tackle. And then, of course, uh, receivers, young receivers that are explosive as well. Like Denzel Mims can be Will Fuller, if not better, with an accurate quarterback. At least he showed that he can be an alpha last year when healthy. So overall, I think that situation as a whole is great, but wherever Watson goes, he's saving that organization, saving jobs.
1: Yeah, I mean, that combination, what we saw this year of efficiency, big play, high yards per attempt, and lack of turnovers, you just don't really see. I mean, a truly special skill set. And My only my theory on this about where he might end up, like based on literally nothing, like there hasn't been a single report about this at all. But I feel like the Texans will try to trade him to the NFC. So they at least like don't have to face him every year. I don't think they'll be unwilling to trade him in the in the AFC if the best match uh, merges in the AFC, which I think will be the New York Jets. I think the Carolina Panthers may be like the biggest dark horse here and like a like a dark, dark horse might be the Atlanta Falcons. Um, But I would just say, yeah, if it's not going to be the Jets, which are considered the most obvious landing spot for a reason, I think they should be considered the most obvious. But if we're looking for Dark Horse, I would look at the Panthers or maybe even the Falcons.
3: What makes the Deshaun situation just so incredible is not only are you getting Deshaun Watson when you trade for him, you're getting an insane contract. In the first year when whoever trades for Deshaun Watson, he comes with a $10.5 million cap hit because the Texans have to take on some of that and then the next four years, his cap hits are between 32 and 35 million dollars. That is very manageable for a player who's a top three, top four quarterback in the league. So not only are you getting the Deshaun Watson, you're getting that contract that comes with it. And for example, like the Jets, if they traded for Deshaun Watson this offseason, they would drop from third most cap space down to fourth most cap space for this season. It's just incredible like what type of contract you're getting on top of it. But at the same time, the, the Texans, like, yes, they will be eating some cap dollars here, but it's, it's 21 million, 16 million, 10 million and 5 million over the next four years in dead cap. If they do trade them, uh, we've seen crazier things that have happened. So I don't think that it's just the contract that's going to be holding the situation. If Deshaun Watson comes out and publicly says, I want out no matter what I'm willing to sit out, the Texans should trade them. And I think that they will trade them before the NFL draft because they need draft picks now. And that's what, that's what makes the jet situation just so perfect. you can, Throw in a Sam Darnold if that's what the Texans want. But the Jets have two first-round picks this year and two first-round picks next year, including the number two overall pick. So if the Jets really want to make this happen, they can offer the most. It's just basically up to do the Jets want him? How bad do they want him? And does Deshaun Watson, is he going to force the Texans to make make a trade happen? And he's like basically done that already.
2: And remember, he purposely, he and his agent set up his contract that way. He didn't want the Mahomes inflation deal. Um, he wanted to shorten his contract and go with the market and then take another hefty contract uh, in five years' time. Whereas, of course, Mahomes did the 10-year deal. His contract increases with the market, and then he also gets stock in like every barbecue place in Kansas City, not to mention the world's and everything else he wants in life because he's the perfect human being a player. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk. Of people overthinking the situation, being oh, like the Texans wants you to cripple your own organization for Deshaun Watson. Do you really want to trade two first, three first rounders? The answer is always yes. yes you're not crippling yes, your yes, like yes. you had these draft picks to land a player like Deshaun Watson. You want the RG3 trade because RG3 was like a lottery, whereas Deshaun Watson is not a lottery, he's Deshaun Watson. You are winning if you give those draft picks. So yes, don't overthink it. You make this deal if you're any franchise.
1: I mean, even the Jaguars should make the deal if it was offered to them. That wouldn't happen, I think, in the same division. But like, even with like a generational prospect like Trevor Lawrence, if you've already seen it at the NFL level, to me you take that 10 times out of 10 over the potential.
0: I'm a tortured Falcons fan, and I've tried to put myself in the mind of Texans fans. I can't even imagine. It's just the most brutal thing to imagine. Like A 25-year-old star, like you guys said, signed to a good deal, and just you're going to see him leave town. It's just agonizing.
1: Seems like a really good guy to just chase off for no reason.
0: I was just going to say at least they have that superstar basketball player that's just
3: going to be there forever. (laughs) Oh,
2: dang. I was going to say wait till Zach Wilson is running 12 times per game and overthrowing Julio Jones. That's going to be really exciting. All
0: right. I petitioned this committee for more storylines, but I was hard capped at one. So I'm playing this under protest. But the storyline I'm bringing here is can the Cowboys return to juggernaut status offensively? This, of course, hinges on two main factors. The status of Dak Prescott as he tries to come back from that compound ankle fracture he's staying in week five. By the way, Dak Prescott, who scored more fantasy points in four and a half games than Sam Darnold did in 12 games. uh, There's also the matter of this offensive line sustained a lot of injuries, and that basically renders Ezekiel Elliott almost unstartable in fantasy for a lot of the season. So, Dagle, I'll start with you. How optimistic are you that Dallas gets back a full strength Dak, however they end up signing him, and gets their offensive line to where it needs to be?
2: it's almost a joke of a situation. Like you hear the the quarterback carousel happening right now, and no one's even mentioning Dak, who again, like, as Forbes' number one most valuable franchise, like evaluated at 5500000000 billion, they're worried about their cap space. What are you even doing? Instead, they're going to possibly franchise tag Dak a second year, frustratingly to him, and give him 40 or $41 million without the confidence of a long-term deal. That's the number one quarterback situation right there is, or the Cowboys bringing back an elite player who, when he wasn't available, their offense cratered around whatever else they had because they don't know how to build an actual team. And then of course this an injured offensive line overall. It's not even one of the elite units in the league anymore, although they built it that way half a decade ago. Now it's a league average unit, slightly above league average at best. Not to mention Ezekiel Elliott having a contract you can't get away from in the next year or two unless you go full Rams, eat $33 million for one year just to get out of it, which is a disastrous situation. And the part no one's talking about is that they invested and linebackers like Jalen Smith and Leighton Van who were just bad. They were terrible NFL players last year. Uh, and so they brought in Dan Quinn to simplify the scheme. The issue is if you're simplifying a scheme and players you invested so much money and you built your defense around, that tells you exactly what your problems are. So there's just so much to make up for to make this actually a winning franchise because they haven't been that in 20 years. And so I, I think it's still wise to continue betting against them in the markets but for fantasy it's a situation we obviously love as long as Dak is healthy because they have the receivers in place and the same reason we correctly bought into the cowboys offense with prescott last year is because they can't build the defense they don't know how to they have bad players on defense thus making their offense more potent since they do have elite players on that side of the ball so
1: again one we buy into for fantasy but overall winning organization hell no Having a 41, 40 to forty-one million dollar cap number for a player on a true one-year deal—you like—you just want to talk about like spectacularly bad cap mismanagement. Like that is like just basically shocking. Like there's just no creativity whatsoever. Like how you get boxed into that situation is just insane. And the, the offensive line is probably the main thing uh, working against this because well, just both line. I mean, they had a decent pass rush last year, but a lack of impact players in defense. And an offensive line that very quickly went from one of the best in the NFL to one of the worst. Those are going to be the two things conspiring against the Cowboys. And like, when you have this much offensive skill talent, like you can do it. Like you can be like the greatest show on turf Rams. You could be like some of those old saints teams. Like you can go 10 and six, 11 and five, but it'd be like a high wire act and, I think that's like their best case scenario is being like a very high wire act team. I think there's just not enough big time talent on defense and not enough talent on the offensive line for them to become like a 13 and three team next year.
3: I mean, for like the last five years, the Cowboys are just taking like a short term approach every single season. And, when you keep doing that, that's when you like lose a lot of pieces on defense. You lose some offensive linemen, and then just everything falls out from underneath you. When you lucked into quarterback in the fourth round, that happens to be a borderline top five player in the, in the whole league, and you still are able to do basically nothing with it. The good thing for the Cowboys is they have CeeDee Lamb, who's going to be a, a stud, obviously. They have Amari Cooper. They have Michael Gallup and they play in the NFC East. So you're still dealing with the Giants, you're still dealing with Washington, and you're still dealing with the Eagles. So they'll be a 500 team next year. Is the full ceiling there? I'm not convinced just because the defense is still missing a couple guys. But at the end of the day, they have Dak Prescott, and they play in the NFC East. That's going to get you like eight wins right there.
2: It's a franchise that truly doesn't understand how lucky they got between like undrafted free agent Tony Romo carrying your organization for a decade between a fourth round quarterback who was your third string option and only started because backup Kellen Moore behind Tony Romo broke his ankle in camp like they think they can find these guys off trees and they'll just go out if Dak Prescott doesn't want to sign for their allotted number and just pluck another starting elite quarterback off like the a free agency wire or out of the draft. It just doesn't happen. Uh, Bill Parcel summarized it years ago and said things stay the same because things stay the same. And, like, no line has ever summarized the Cowboys better.
0: Daigle, you mentioned buying into the Cowboys for fantasy purposes a minute ago. I would say the addition of Dan Quinn as defensive coordinator is excellent news for this Cowboys offense because I watched <laughs> yeah. a lot of Dan Quinn's defensive <laughs> schemes in recent years, and there's
2: not a lot there. So I, I do think Quinn is – Actually, one of those guys who's just better suited for a positional coach as opposed to being in charge of everything like you're I mean, the list goes on and on of guys like that. But like I said, whenever you have to bring someone in to scheme around the players you already invested in because they aren't doing their jobs properly, it just shows the overall issues that stem from the top down.
1: And with Dan Quinn, they made like the correction a few times to have him like focus more on the defense and like maybe kind of move away from the CEO type role. And it just like didn't get better. He like demoted himself like two or three different times. So
0: yeah. And the defense got a lot better when he did that.
1: (laughs) So not sure I'd be super psyched about the addition.
0: All right. We got three more left here. Hayden, you are up next. Where would you like to go with this one? This one could be quick, um,
3: but it's just the Patriots' cap space. They have the fourth most in the league, up at 57 million. And in addition to that, that includes that they have the fifth most players already under contract, too. So it's one of the best cap situations in the entire league. They'll be getting some guys back. So I think just like kind of the moral of the story is that I think this could be a pretty quick rebuild they're just have to find the quarterback and they have to find at least one capable wide receiver. But like we've mentioned, there are some guys at both of those positions this year, they have the cap space to fix that uh, run defense. that ranked 29th in rushing EPA last year. So the last season was a disaster for the Patriots, but they have a easy template to rebound immediately in, in one year. They just have to find the quarterback. The kind of, it just comes down to they have the 15th overall pick are one of these quarterbacks going to fall? Are they comfortable with that type of guy? Or do they have to go after a Matthew Stafford or another type of like these – like do they go back to like a Jimmy Garoppolo? It's like Jared Goff on the table. That's the one position we have to track. But I do think in general the Patriots are like one or two years away from like getting back into the playoff hunt.
1: So the Patriots a lot of times have a lot of cap space because they're a very well-run, well-managed team. And they're not allergic to spending in free agency. But as we know, they're usually like bargain shoppers or – they're kind of like distressed asset shoppers on the trade market. So there's a lot of big-name talent this year in free agency, especially receiver, their main position of need. But it would kind of like go against type for them to hand out those kind of contracts. But they don't have a lot of in-house places to spend the money. I mean, they, Joe Thune, what's Joe Thune's contract? He's a free agent, right? I mean, maybe yeah. they'll give him a deal. And maybe they'll sign David Andrews to, like, a nice deal. But it's kind of like the Patriots – their MO, it's hard to see like where this money will be allocated. Um, but you know, smart guy, Bill Belichick, I, I totally agree, too. We got some, some opt-out. The players who opted out last year were generally on the older side. We have an infusion of talent coming back just from the opt-outs. And it should be a quick rebuild in New England.
2: Uh, Also, they led the league, remember, in COVID opt-outs and opt-outs of starters on defense. So that'll certainly help that unit as well. But again, it goes back to quarterback situation. The world is really their oyster. They can do whatever they want, especially if they do want to trade to Stavon Gilmore as they dangled him at the trade deadline this past year. It's going to be, again, for the second year in a row, basically a completely different team in New England
0: quickly some perspective on how brutal that offense was before we move on they didn't have a running back a wide receiver or a tight end in the top 25.5 ppr (laughs) fantasy scoring an amazing feat there rex burkhead their top scoring running back was the rb 44 jacoby myers their wide receiver one was the wide receiver 57 in fantasy and we won't even talk about their top tight end ryan Izzo, who had 13 catches so that was bad who's next pat right Pat?
1: Yeah, and this one can be a short one too, because I don't really know the answer. Just how do the Eagles save Carson Wentz? Because uh, it appears that's what they're going to do, that they're not gonna begin the Jalen Hurts era. It appears they're all in and trying to save Carson Wentz. And like what should the approach here be? Like rebuilding this offensive line, uh stop trying to like force the deep game. You know, every year they invest resources and in, like potential deep targets in the passing game, and every year it just, just doesn't work out for some reason, whether being injuries or a player just busting and uh, you know one of the most dramatic drop-offs in NFL history last year and it was Nick Sirianni like really a better offensive mind than Doug Peterson like Doug Peterson has really taken his lumps but he's probably still a pretty good offensive mind play calling type coach and is this truly an upgrade and just yeah I don't know what like the grand vision should be to save Carson Wentz and I uh, didn't know if you guys had any ideas. I I don't even know if there is saving Carson Wentz. I think they're trying to, if only because they're
2: the ones who took the gamble. I don't think it was a right or incorrect decision in extending Carson Wentz he was 27 year old he was of course coming off two injuries at the time of that extension um suffered two season in injuries the years prior but overall they took a chance and i just think the chance failed but now it's so much money that they can't get out of it and oddly enough you know we know the people in place that are going to be in charge of riding him but the eagles also just hired Florida OC, Brian Johnson, who is youthful, 34 in February. Also, he coached, he historically has coached Dak Prescott in Mississippi State, as well as Kyle Trask this past year, fourth in Heisman voting. And then remember that, well, Pat, for the video game truthers, he was also on the NCAA football 2010 cover I believe but what's funny is that although he'll be in charge being a positional coach and helping write Carson Wentz they of course let press Taylor go because he wasn't serious with his players like he didn't get on directly to the players more about the overall offense Johnson actually has known Jalen Hurts since he was four years old and he like recruited him to Mississippi State Hurts just chose Alabama instead so it's like a fail proof or a fallback situation if Wentz doesn't work out you have the quarterback coach in place to also help Hurts this year if it doesn't work out. So just overall an intriguing situation. I think Wentz is pretty much lost uh, after leading the league, or league lows and sacks taken, interceptions as well. Just overall all the poor metrics from him. So it's a weird situation, but again, I think they're only trying to recover because of the gamble they took that ultimately failed.
3: Yeah, the, the couple things working against Carson Wentz is his offensive line was supposed to be good, and last year it wasn't, and a lot of that was injury-related. A lot of that's also just because of old age. Like A lot of their offensive linemen are old, especially at the tackle positions, so I'm not sure if they're going to have a, a very good offensive line. It's probably even more middle of the pack, and we were coming into the year thinking that was going to be a top-five offensive line. And then if you look back at those numbers back when Carson Wentz was like an MVP candidate, a lot of those numbers came on the unstable passing metrics. And that includes like third down conversions, kind of these, some of these deep passing and a lot of it's just not the stable in the pocket drop back on a first and 10 passing numbers. Those were like average to below average over these last couple years. So th- there is a little element of like, was that just like he was like going on like, the luckiest 17 game stretch and then like everything else around him was ideal. And that's how they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Um, there is a little element of that. At the end of the day, I'm kind of with you guys. I think that Carson Wentz probably starts week one. It seems like that's what the front office like desperately wants to happen. But like, how long could that last? Because I think Jalen Hurd showed enough to maybe not he's like locked in to be the next franchise quarterback, but I think he he showed enough intriguing elements that you can work with him going into year two.
1: I will say, I don't know if we'll all be in agreement on this or not. Would you rather take a shot on Carson Wentz or Jared Goff in 2021? Eileen Wentz, just because. He's someone who at least I, he has like some YOLO ball in him and Jared Goff just doesn't. And I could still maybe see Carson Wentz getting married to like the right play caller and kind of like reviving his career, and like Fitzpatrick and kind of hardcore. Because that, That's what I said. He was like the more demented Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. And it just didn't work. But he at least has like a gene in him to like kind of like force the issue. Whereas with Jared Goff, I don't think we'll ever get that. And I don't know if Jared Goff has like the means to save himself.
2: I, I am not kidding when I say this. This is not a hot take. Uh, having said that, social media team, Stephen, uh, do not cut this for the account because I don't want my mentions to burn. But I would actually rather have Sam Darnold than Carson Wentz and see what I can build the next two years. I think he's a better prospect.
1: I guess, so Stephen, you're killing me with every oh, time I say something about Josh Allen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways.
0: <laughs> yeah, Wentz took a league-leading 50 sacks and tied the esteemed Drew Locke for most interceptions in the league with 15 in just 12 games. Last storyline is uh, from you, Daigle.
2: I am asking the question if the Chargers are a true contender now that their coaching staff has been rehauled. Uh, remember, they actually have all the pieces in place and getting lucky. Well, not getting lucky. They did draft Herbert number six overall. So you don't luck into the number six overall pick. But the fact that he's already an elite cornerstone of that franchise, it's proven. Um, and then, of course, they only had nine and ten games out of Trey Turner and Brian Bellaga, which logically reconstructed the right side of their offensive line to an elite portion of that unit had they been healthy for the full year. They already have a superstar pass rusher in Joey Bosa. Elite surrounding pieces like Chris Harris, Nazir Adderley, Derwin James, Linville Joseph. Receiving talent, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. And now... They have finally rid themselves of like the one score curse that Philip Rivers carries around, I guess, to every organization. And then the grasp of Anthony Lynn's poor coaching and decision making. So with Brandon Staley, with Sean Payton disciple Joe Lombardi, with Ronaldo Hill on defense, like is this the change the Chargers needed? Since everything else is intact to be a top four team in the AFC, the you know the top is still Mahomes permanently, and then hopefully Josh Allen, since we're bringing Dable back and then the Ravens organization as a whole. But the Chargers have all the pieces if this is the correct fit to be that number four team and compete in the AFC playoffs.
1: Hayden, you're the Chargers expert. You go.
3: I think that they're going to be one of the best teams in the league oh next year. Just, I mean, they're not gonna be on the Chiefs level or anything like that, but you, you nailed it. It's it's the coaching staff and I, I watched their pressers, the offensive coordinator and the head coach and they, they just say all of the right things. They're gonna They're going to be way more situationally aware Um, Those were like the brutalist timeouts, the fourth down decision makings over these last couple of years. Their special teams has been like the worst in like the NFL every single year for like the last 10 years. I think that will get cleaned up. These guys are just sharp. They've been around some of the best coaches in the league and they're the younger guys that just understand what to do with their best players. And on both sides of the ball, you have foundational pieces. And I I think that the narrative of like Brandon Staley being a defensive coach, you don't want to hire defensive coaches he is a quarterback's guy. The reason why his defense was so good is because it defended the deep pass, didn't care about the run game. He was creating a defense that would he would hate to play against himself. So I think that a lot of these narratives are just like the Chargers always stink. The coaching staff's bad. They always miss these field goals. I want to take advantage of that. I'll be betting over their win totals. I think Keenan Allen is going to be a rock star again. I think that Mike Williams could be like a wide receiver three, possibly maybe a wide receiver four in fantasy. I think Austin Eckler... I mean, the offensive coordinator already mentioned that he compared him to Alvin Kamara, Darren Sproles, Reggie Bush. And we've already seen this from Austin Eckler, but we know that they're going to be getting the best out of their players. And that's something we haven't seen for the Chargers in like maybe ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, r- really, the only reason to hedge the Chargers is because we have this conversation every year. And it doesn't work out, but that's not a valid reason to go against the team. Cause that's not a thing. Like, you know, that's just like bad luck. That's like superstition. And maybe every year we have higher hopes for the chargers and they don't live up to it, but that's just like, that's not transferable. It's just like kind of randomness and the new coaching staff. It's just so hard not to be super excited. Uh, Staley's press conference, like his subsequent interviews about as promising as possible. And yeah, like Hayden said, super fascinating background as a defensive coordinator who was a quarterback, you know, that just doesn't really happen. And a guy who was handpicked by maybe the brightest mind in the NFL right now, Sean McVay, and then immediately lived up to the hype, you know, sponged up probably so much from Sean McVay. Uh, It just seems like everyone's kind of landing in the right place at the right time for the chargers where Justin Herbert pick was highly questioned and it worked out. Brandon Staley still, even though people are, there's like people like us who are very excited, very bullish on it. But then other people, you know, after only one year as a coordinator, like this meteoric rise, like, is this like too early? But to me, it's just starting to feel like the right people in the right place at the right time. Staley, Robert Sala,
2: like these guys, it's going to come down to keeping their ego in check um, and them working with the play callers that they chose to be on their staff. But I think they can get that done. Do I think it's better if you start at the head coaching position with a bright play caller on offense? Of course. But with – Guys like this, Staley in particular, who treated his defense like a chess piece, who tried to outmatch your offense with his scheme, and then him choosing the play caller to work with, and him, Staley, also being a quarterback, being of offensive mind, except knowing how to call a defense that way as opposed to calling an offense, I think certainly helps this situation. So as long as he practically stays out of the way and doesn't uh, try to usurp Lombardi, then I think it's a great situation overall.
3: And the other narrative you'll hear with Staley is like his defense was only good because he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. And like, yes, I agree. Having good players does matter, but he's going to a defense that has Joey Bosa and Derwin James who aren't on that same level, but they're probably the one of the next closest one, two punches on defense and the NFL and all these other guys that are under contract for next season too. there. It's a, it's a really good situation. Uh,
2: Casey Hayward is Richard Sherman, basically. Uh, You know, he doesn't get a lot of pub because he's stuck in Los Angeles with the chargers, but they can certainly match him across the line and he won't shut down your opposing receiver, but he's an elite cornerback. So yeah, the pieces are absolutely in place.
0: Dagle talked about the one-score curse for the Chargers. Their first seven losses last season were by an average of less than five points. I think none were more than eight. And they later
2: lost 45-0 to the Patriots, but that wasn't convenient for my stats, so I excluded it. Uh, I, all right, I, I think also think it. once, I think one-score games, they regress. I also think a coaching mindset, though, this is my issue with Pete Carroll and all these guys, uh, Jason Garrett permanently, they want to play one-score games. They instill like, toughness into their players. And to them, that means grinding out close games. But if you look at like the Chiefs, uh, and I know that's Patrick Mahomes, probably a bad example. The Ravens, let's say, like games don't have to be one score. You can win by blowouts. You don't have to play. You don't have to run the ball a lot and try to play out like six points in every single game, and it just doesn't seem like Staley has that type of mindset.
0: I've watched the Falcons. That's patently untrue, Diggle. All, <laughs> all games are basically Well, to be fair, score. the
2: Falcons do build multiple scored leads. They just happen
0: to lose that. Yeah, then, then you give it back. That's the way you play football. All right. That's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. We'll be back next week with much more leading up to Super Bowl 55. Anything to promote before we get out of here, fellas?
3: Um, I'm going to be doing an off-season previews series where I'm going to go team by team, starting after the Super Bowl, up to free agents. Team needs, cap space, like starting rosters, kind of going over like scheme things, and then having a couple notes with fantasy involved. So um, that'll be throughout like February and March.
2: Yeah, and I already got the available targets, available carries, trackers ready to go. I don't put them out to the day after the Super Bowl, but they'll be available there, and then they'll be updated throughout the offseason and free agency as they always are. And then uh, stay tuned for next week because we're still figuring out Super Bowl plans.
0: All right, Daigle, Pat Hayden, thanks, guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. Let's keep sending out those Deshaun Watson to the Falcons vibes. We'll see you <laughs> next week.